Welcome to the I Love Alt Mortgages podcast, brought to you by Home Trust. And now, your host, Brennan Trenuth. Hey, Broker Nation. I'm excited today to be joined by our first Alberta broker, Heather Mana of MMG Mortgages. Heather joins us to talk about how her team has become a top brokerage in the prairies, interprovincial migration, and challenges in the Alberta market. Plus, she shares with us some excellent alternative deal scenarios you won't want to miss. Hey, Broker Nation. I am your host, Brennan Trenuth, and you are listening to I Love All Mortgages. Today, our guest is coming up, coming to us all the way from Alberta, Canada. Heather Mana is a managing partner and mortgage broker at MMG. Heather, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. We're very excited to have you on. And, you know, we haven't had anybody from Alberta on the show yet, but I do need to ask if you are an Oilers fan or a Flames fan. Obviously, Calgary Flames. Okay, so you're right in the heart of Calgary there. Okay. I mean, that's a little difficult for me because I am a Vancouver Canucks fan, but, uh, you know, we'll leave it at that. You guys are in the playoffs. I am not. So, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> yeah. As you may know, our podcast is about showcasing the alternative market, showcasing our broker partners who support us on the alternative side of the business but gives your peers the opportunity to hear some of your successes, possibly struggles, how you overcame them. It's all about learning on this podcast. So we're just going to get right into some of the questions that we have lined up for you here. Let's start off learning a bit about your background. So, you know, what's your journey been like so far in the mortgage industry? So really, I started at the bank. I started about, well, when I was 17 years old, so quite some time ago. So I've been in the industry for almost 20 years. After working at the bank, I started when I was 17 years old, as I mentioned, and then by the time I was 21, I got into mortgages. By 22, I was a top producing mortgage specialist at the bank kind of year over year, and I was always curious at that point about what other banks offered and the alternative lending space as I was seeing more opportunities outside of the bank where deals were getting done that weren't getting done by the bank I was at. And I don't like saying no. So that led me to look at the broker side and other opportunities. So by my late 20s, I left the bank and came to the dark side, the good side, the brokerage side. So really, that's kind of my journey in the mortgage industry. We started our official own brokerage, myself and my business partner, Jackie, I guess about five and a half years ago. So we had always kind of run together as a team and then actually went officially independent on our own about five years ago. It's a great story so far. And, you know, it's actually a very, very common recurring theme that we've heard from a lot of our brokers that we've interviewed on this show is that a lot of them started off at the bank, but wanted more, wanted to be able to give their clients a little bit more. So then that's where you kind of jump over to the broker side where you can give them, you know, a broad range of solutions. Let's talk about your brokers. Can you tell us a bit about your team? Yes. So we are small in terms of number of agents where we've got 30 people, just over 30 people that work with us. But we have been lucky enough to attract high producing agents. And so we are with Mortgage Center Canada and we're the top brokerage in the prairies and we're the eighth largest brokerage in the country. So even though we're small by numbers, we're bigger by volume. So that's been really cool to see the team grow kind of from conception just year over year. All of our brokers really are truly like friends and family. We're pretty picky about who we add to the team. And so I can honestly say that we have a lot of compassion for each other and everybody really tries to support one another not even just in the mortgage space directly, but also just with any charitable endeavors that we do, team building functions, team events, and we all take turns planning those things and deciding on 
you know, who to involve for the charity next that we do. So it's not just about the day-to-day -day grind with the mortgages. A lot of it is about just supporting each other and really helping each other. There's none of this, you know, I don't want to share my secrets because you're my competitor. It's really all what can we do to band together and make it a good client experience, a positive working environment where everybody wants to come to work every day. So it's been pretty cool that way, just with kind of the family environment that we've positioned and everybody that really joins our team. If you don't have a passion for education, we're not interested in having you on board. So our process looks a little bit different for clients and just even in the industry is we really have a passion for bringing consumer confidence to the broker channel. And we've seen an increase to consumer confidence year over year, just with more originations coming to the broker side than the banks. Obviously, you know, starting your own brokerage, you know, you're bringing on people, you need to be able to support those people as well. And, you know, part of that starts from the top down, right? So how would you describe your leadership style for your team? Very hands-on. I'm all over everybody, but it's uh, in a good way, in a good yeah. way. So a little bit about, I guess, our team and how we operate. We're a bit different because we run a true underwriting model. And so we give people the option, agents, that they could go, you know, just completely independent or they can submit through our underwriting channel. And so out of the 30 plus staff that we have or agents that we have, a lot of those are actual salaried underwriters. And they really provide a ton of support for our mortgage agents who have a high volume coming in. In, or even the newer agents that we've taken on who really they get a deal and they don't know what to do with it. So they'll submit through our underwriting channel and between our underwriters and then myself and Jackie, we are 100% there to help with the training, the education, the underwriting. So we're very hands-on myself and Jackie. So we're still called on a day-to-day -day basis on how to structure this deal and an escalation and sometimes with clients as well. So yeah, we're all over everybody. And was that always the model from the very beginning or did you guys have to try and like transition into that kind of underwriting hub? Yeah, no, good question. So Jackie and I, we've always had underwriters that have worked for us. So even before we were a brokerage, we operated a team. We were always MMG, but licensed under another banner. And we always had underwriters and, you know, we went through the trial and errors of how you can use a support team. So it's not just having an assistant. It's not just having them do documents for paper. And really, you can't pass your clients or your referral partners off to your help. That's detrimental for future business. And so it's really been kind of a trial and error for us of how to operate with a team. And when we first started our brokerage about five years ago, we really didn't have any intention to have a team of 30. We truly just wanted to run increasing our own volume of business, having our underwriters, but it just kind of organically happened where other agents were wanting to join and really wanted to follow the underwriting model that we had done. And so it just kind of happened organically where we just started the structure it was always how we ran our business. And now we've kind of passed that on to the people that have come to the brokerage and based on our processes and technology and systems, it's, seem to really work well and it's been attracting a lot of new agents as well. That's great. And I know the MG team has been awarded, you know, multiple awards for your success, most notably for your customer service. So I think that has something to do with it with the way that you've set up your business there with, you know, the underwriting support as well. But, you know, what does overall good customer service mean to you and your team? So much of it is the process, is communication and process. So it's not transactional, just getting the mortgage approved. I mean, obviously that's half of it. That's what we're here to do. But a lot of it is taking the time to educate the client on the product, what happens after the renewal. And so that upfront component is the communication piece. But in a busy market that we're in right now, that everybody's in, 
the volumes are huge. And I don't know that a single mortgage broker without the support staff and systems in place can manage high volumes effectively with good turnaround time. So again, part of it is communication, part of it is the team, and part of it is just the processes and systems that we have in place that we're still working on. We still tweak those, but it seems that every time we get a new process in place, six months later, you've got to tweak it, use more technology and so forth. But the common theme that we hear from everybody that joins our team that has come from another brokerage is that they are shocked at the detail that we put into our clients' files, the pre-approvals, the information, and just the systems that we have in place and the technology that we use to make everything streamlined. Sure. And obviously, my next question is going to be, you know, what makes your brokerage stand out as a great place to work? But you've already touched on quite a few things, education and service. Is there anything else that you wanted to maybe just add to that? The only other thing I would say is that we really do put a high emphasis on coaching and mentorship. I'm pretty sensitive about that from my past life and being a mortgage agent under another you know, bank and brokerage where everybody gets so busy that it's very hard to have a mentor in this business and it can be a lonely business. And so, you know, we're highly aware that mentorship runs thin. And so that is a big part for us is that we do do accountability sessions. We do active monthly coaching sessions. We have like high levels of mentorship with all of the team. And so, you know, we don't necessarily have somebody that comes on and we give them a minimum target to hit. At the end of the day, if they're not producing, that's on them. But we will absolutely put our time and energy into the coaching to help them grow. They will get out of this what they put into it. So I do know just from my past life and other places within this industry, we absolutely offer more support outside of just the underwriting, just with our own time for the coaching and mentorship for our team. Yeah, and I think that's so important in this day and age, too, is you have so many brokers coming into the industry, but you're always looking for, you know, where can I go to get additional support? Where can I go to get a bit more education? And sometimes it may be a little bit more difficult to find than others. So it's really important you speaking here about your own brokerage, about how education is so important, the coaching, the mentorship. And I think that's something that this industry needs a lot more of, and it's something that we are lacking at this point in time. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that. I just wanted to now switch over to you know the Alberta market. Obviously, I'm not too familiar with the Alberta market, but I'm just curious as to what you think are some unique challenges that you know Alberta brokers are facing right now, especially given that we've been in a pandemic for you know just going over two years now. Yeah, and I don't know, you know, how much any kind of listeners would know about the Alberta market space, but it is wildly busy right now as it's been kind of announced across the board. It seems that Alberta is the hot spot for purchases. So it's been busy, a bit of a scaling challenge. We've seen problems that maybe other areas like Toronto and Vancouver have seen over the years. We're now experiencing that. So really just navigating the overlist price, the multiple offers, having people you know, pre-qualified and having them write, you know, 10, 11, 12 offers on places losing out and then having advice maybe from their real estate agent to go in unconditionally. And then we're having to deal with the potential fallouts of that. And so it's really just trying to, again, educate our clients of what not to do, educate our referral partners of how to present an offer on something that you're competing with, right? There's ways that you can present a strong offer without going in unconditionally. So it's really been navigating a lot of that just with our team and making sure that 
we're not at you know liability or risk for ourselves either as a brokerage by giving poor advice. So it's been a wild ride and it seems to continue. A lot of the economists are saying that they don't see that this is a bubble in Alberta, that they're thinking that prices will continue to increase. And I mean, who knows? We'll see what happens. But we are still relatively low compared to the rest of the market as far as our price points and what you can buy here. So it's been interesting. And that's obviously been a fallout of COVID and continues to be. Have you seen more like interprovincial migration due to the rising prices in like Ontario and BC or are you just finding that just more people within Alberta are just moving around? I love this question because the interprovincial files have been bananas. So yeah, okay. even just the licensed mortgage agents and brokers from other provinces calling us to try to get duly licensed because so sure. many of their clients that would be buying in say Toronto or Vancouver are now buying in Alberta. So, you know, even the new brokers wanting to be licensed here has been interesting. But really what we've seen is that, as mentioned, I mean, we're more affordable. We have, you know, extremely low land title transfer taxes in Alberta. So we have all of the investors that are buying here. We also have really high net market rents. So for what an investor could rent a property for here is far greater than other provinces in Alberta. So our rents are high, but yet our purchase prices are still relatively low meaning that your carrying costs are lower. So for an investor, it's a bit of a hot spot to buy. So we're seeing a lot of that. The other thing though is true interprovincial moves. So people that are, you know, maybe they're first time buyers, maybe they're second time buyers, but they just feel like they cannot afford to live in some of the other areas, again, like Toronto, BC. So they are looking actively for employment options in Alberta. So whether that be you know, can they work remotely? And we've done a lot of files. We're working, you know, for major companies in Toronto and they're physically living and in Alberta. So it's the remote work. It is the job transferring, people actively seeking to transfer, even within the healthcare industry. We've seen a lot of that. And then also just for people who are actually, their companies are opening office spaces here. So it is a relatively inexpensive place for a business to start based on the federal and provincial taxes that Alberta has, but also our commercial real estate's low. So we're seeing a lot of companies migrate to Alberta and essentially transfer employees out. So we've seen a lot of that. I think the biggest comment though that I would make is that some of the banks will allow a broker who's licensed in another province to do transactions in other provinces. But at the end of the day, their E&O insurance likely won't follow you from province to province and the regulatory bodies actually aren't okay with it. And so it's really important to look at a co-broker situation or to work with somebody that is actually licensed in the province because we've seen a lot of situations in Alberta where things have been cracked down on that. The only other comment that I would make is in other provinces, the interprovincial transfers aren't as significant. So we're getting a lot of referrals from other brokers in other provinces where they maybe pre-qualified the client and then they'll transfer it to us in the end, but not realizing that these people want to eventually live in Alberta and they're quitting their jobs, but not having any income or remote work available. So yeah. we see that almost every day. So just anybody potentially listening in on this, they need to have income and employment lined up to some degree. That's great advice there. And obviously you need income to get a mortgage. So <laughs> I'm surprised that that's happening quite a bit for you. And it's unfortunate, but hopefully we smart up a little bit. So just talking about the alternative lending space itself, you know, what role does the alternative lending space play in your business compared to Prime? And how has that maybe changed since when you first started brokering? 
so it's played so many roles. Like the alternative lending space is something that I'm really passionate about. And everybody on my team knows that we use the alternative lending space in a lot of scenarios as a stepping stone for clients, right? It's to get your foot in the door to home ownership for whatever reason that might be. And if we can move you back to maybe a traditional bank later, great. But a lot of clients don't want to, or don't need to get moved back. Like take a self-employed person, for example, to move somebody back to a traditional bank after financing them on the alternative space. How much income do they need to report on their taxes? How much income taxes do they have to pay? So a lot of people, we don't necessarily always sell the alternative lending as a short-term solution. Sometimes it is more longevity and it's a tax planning strategy. So from the business for self options, bruised credit, there's often more sliding scale exceptions than traditional lenders in the urban areas. And there's more rental property flexibility than on the A side. Really the alternative side can get more creative with income, with divorce and separations, like a lot more leniency, uh, higher debt servicing ratios. And I can dive into that a little bit more too, but that's been huge for us. And one of my favorite products is the non-conforming. And I mean, Home Trust has an amazing non-conforming product that we're using a lot, even for those interprovincial files. That's great, yeah. I would say that's how the alternative lending plays into our business. I mean, the big thing for us is you would ask just, I guess the second part of your question is, how has that changed? Huge stigma before. Like, I mean, honestly, to be real, even thinking back 15, 10 years ago, I think people thought B lending was private lending. There was not as many lenders out there as there are in the space today. It's a more competitive space. Interest rates have gotten better. Products have gotten better. And consumer confidence has gotten better on the alt side. The way that we're using it, honestly, on a day-to-day -day basis, like prime example would be somebody's calling, looking to refinance their mortgage, maybe to pay out debt, pull money out for a renovation. We can give them an option and say, here's the maximum that you qualify for under a lending. There's say typical standard salaried employee with good credit, but with the bank's debt ratio requirements, they might not get how much they need. And so a lot of people are willing to go on the alternative side with extended ratios to maybe get an extra 50 or $75,000 of a bump in their mortgage amount or purchasing power. And so it's not always about, you know, yes, the interest rates are higher on the alt side. Yes, there's a fee, but what is more important to the client? Because it's not always about rate. So when we're having clients call us for, you know, what's the max I can buy for, or how much of the max I can get for the mortgage, we're honestly giving them two options now, and we never used to. So we're actually saying, okay, option A is the traditional lending. Option B is the alternative lending and really showing them the difference and how it could benefit on both sides. Uh, it's really good. I'm really happy that you said it's not always about the rate because that's really something that we try to really talk about. It isn't just about the rate. It's about the solution. Their buying power, like you said, or if they need to refinance and the ratios are higher and they're not going to qualify at the bank, right? So they need to have those alternative solutions. And you know, obviously we're there, hopefully people will use us, but you know, we're there to help support that. What advice would you give to brokers who maybe have never done any alternative business? Maybe they're just starting in the industry or maybe they're in the industry, but they've only done, you know, maybe a, what kind of advice would you give? Because it's a big market and a growing market. Yeah, honestly, just ask a lot of questions, involve the BDMs on more files than you would think. So a lot of the times, maybe the newer agents will only involve like the BDMs or the lenders when they have a file that's in bruised credit. It's not just about that. It's not just about the business for self-financing flexibility that you have. I would just encourage everybody to ask more questions and really get inquisitive about how these products can help your clients. Like I said, even just in a standard refinance position. So I think the more questions that people can ask, the more presentations that the BDMs can do, the better. Honestly, I'll tell you that it has won over 
so many referral partners for us as well, not even just increasing our own book of business, just from having these other options. Yeah, perfect. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's really important for us to hear, important for other people who are listening to this podcast to hear as well. Definitely, you want to position yourself in the alternative space. Just think about how much more solutions that you can provide to your clients out there. I'm just going to finish it off here with asking you if you have any sort of alternative client story that really demonstrates, you know, yours or your brokerage's ability to find that right solution for your client. So just thinking off the top of my head, like from the last call it two weeks, I will rattle off a few super quick examples of where the alternative side kind of like won the day for the clients perfect example we had a you know realtor refer in a client a few weeks ago they had talked to another broker and maximum that they could qualify for was $450,000 self-employed guy it wasn't getting him where he needed to be referred him over to us we uh, actually sent him to home trust and we were able to get him up to 900,000 for a purchase price so that is an insane difference and it's because we were using the bank statements to qualify with reasonability the other broker didn't even give that option so that was a huge win it was a new referral partner for us we've now you know won their business second file from a few weeks ago a newly divorced mom she had a decent amount coming from her separation but a lot of the a lenders you actually need to see a certain amount of income from spousal support and for say at least like a two three month period or not more so you need to see a consistency for that person to qualify on the a side so this gal didn't have any other income or employment just support payments and it was brand new she qualified through the non-conforming program actually at home trust 35 percent down 12 months principal and interest payments she bought a property that ended up also having a suited basement with extra rental income. She would have not been able to get into the housing market if that non-conforming product didn't exist. She would have had to wait at least six months and then house prices going up. I mean, she might not have been able to get the property she wanted. So that was a win. Sure. One last, I guess, quick scenario too is this happens quite a bit where maybe we have an investor that buys a property. They maybe do a renovation or they've done a build. They financed it themselves or maybe they're a private lender. They're sitting at higher interest rates and their end goal was to sell the property. So renovate and sell, but maybe it hasn't sold. So if that's the case or their plan has changed, then we can take it back onto the alternative side if they don't qualify traditionally. So again, using the alternative space to pay out those private deals, again, is maybe a stepping stone to get a client's plan from A to B. So there's so many options that we can really use the alternative space for that people just need to get creative and think outside the box. I can see the alternative space becoming even more popular as time progresses, especially so Offspeed just released their first annual risk outlook for the housing front. And they've specifically singled out verification on specific mortgage files, such as rental income and business for self products. So, I mean, given that we know that there's going to be, you know, more income documents required, less income being able to be used on rental income offsets, that is going to, again, drive more people to the alternative space. I know that the alternative lenders are also governed by OSFI, but as mentioned, there's still non-conforming products and other due diligence that you guys can do. So I think the alternative lending space is just going to continue to increase in popularity. Well, thank you so much for sharing those stories. It was a good range of different stories too, which was nice to see. And I'm sure Kyla was very happy (laughs) that we were able to get some of those deals done. Heather, I want to say thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Learned a lot about the Alberta market, learned a lot about your brokerage, about you, what you're all about. And I hope that everybody listening to the show really takes what you've said about the alternative space and how you've set up your brokerage and maybe they started getting into the alternative space too. So I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. It was really nice to have you on. 
Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of I Love All Mortgages. If you like this episode, please consider leaving a review in your podcast app. See you next week. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.